Joining us now on Pushing Through, it is the Chief Legal Officer of the Golden State Warriors. He is a man that goes by David Kelly, but he also has an alter ego. So this is the first time I'm Pushing Through. We're going to have two separate interviews with the same man. But first, we want to start with the Warriors, David Kelly. Mr. Kelly, thank you for joining the program. How are you? Man, I'm great. How are you doing, man? Oh, we're doing great. And BJ is fired up, so I'm going to let him take the reins from now. Well, uh, Mr. Kelly, you know, My I man. just wanted to, I wanted to give you your ultimate respect and welcome to the show. There's so many things. I didn't want to slip on the job. I want to make sure that every time I see Mr. Kelly that I'm in a certain tie. So this is specifically for you. I haven't had a tie on all the whole time in the pandemic, but this is for you, my friend. How you doing? <laughs> I don't even know what to make of it, brother. <laughs> you, look, you look the same, I think. <laughs> I look the same, but you know what, Dave? You know what? I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you know. Take ask a few questions, and then we got to get right into the interview. Because, uh, but no, all seriousness. Thank you for coming on, and uh, really appreciate you. And uh, you know what's going on? Tell us what's going on in the in the basketball world, and and in your world. Man, so much, so much. My my world trying to maintain through all of this uh, changes and roll with some of these punches and maybe deliver a punch or two when we get a chance. The basketball world, I mean, it's, it's good to see the game started up again. Mm -hmm. It's good to see the league be able to take it seriously and put a program in place that hopefully will hold. Um, you know, we're only a weekend, I guess, at this point in time. And so anything can change. But, um, you know, I think I think that uh, you're seeing the seriousness with which they they approached it, the seriousness with, with the Players Association approached it. Right. And, um, you know, where people were very skeptical, I think there's some buy in now. And so hopefully it'll, it'll continue. Um, that said, I'm not. I'm not uh, upset that I'm in the, in Northern California right now and not right. in Orlando. Um, but, yeah. No, and we have to ask, David, you mentioned that there's eight teams that are not in the bubble. There's 22 teams that are obviously in the bubble. And, and BJ and I have mentioned this. As you kind of go around and you look at the eight teams, there's a lot of you know historical franchises. And then you look at the Golden State Warriors, a team that you've been with for almost a decade at this point. You know, you guys are champions. You guys are recent champions. You guys are, you know, have had so much success. You have Clay. you have Steph, you have the infrastructure that's already there. So watching from the outside looking in, is it comforting to know, hey, we've had this recent success and now we can, you know, almost you know, take a little break, give ourselves a little bit of a break, or is it, man, we wish we were in the bubble and I want to be a part of that situation? Quite honestly, I think it's probably both. Okay. Um, you know, it's, you definitely, and I'm not a player, so, you know, but so from my, my perspective, um, games are happening, you want to be involved, you want to be where the action is, you want to be chasing what everyone else is chasing. Um, the from the organization's perspective, we want to be chasing what everyone else is chasing all the time. Realistically speaking, and BJ knows this more than, than anybody, um, five straight finals takes a toll. Mm -hmm. There's only, you know, the human body can only go for so long. And I think that's what we saw in the playoffs last year. Um, after a certain amount of time, you've, you've banged up against that wall and you have to step back. You have to re re rejuvenate. You never want to. Um, you, the guys are too competitive to do so but father time is undefeated. And, and after a certain amount of time, you, you need to recharge. And so if it was ever a season to recharge, um, you know, you had the clay injury, you had Steph inju Steph's injury, um, we lost KD. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then the pandemic and everything happened. If there was ever a season, you know, I, I'd rather, I guess, be, you know, selfishly this season than last season or two years ago. Right. So, you know, it's unfortunate all the way around. Absolutely. You know, Dave, uh, you know, you and I have known each other for so long and, you know, but everything that's going on, not only with the virus, but the social equality and all of the things and the awareness now. And, I just want to thank you for coming on as a person of color, mm. as a black man in the position that you're doing. And I think it's important because you and I have talked, I've watched you, have you've progressed in the business, but can you just kind of give a overview of your daily responsibilities of what you do in the NBA? Cause we focus so much on the players, right? The players and all of those things, but behind the scenes and to see you know, and to see a young man like yourself going through this business, understanding this business, but can you just kind of share your daily responsibilities, what it is you do? And because I think it's very important for our listeners, especially the young listeners who want to work in professional sports, right? You don't have to right. just be a player to be there. Can you just kind of give over what do you do in your daily yeah. responsibilities? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm in a spot where I, I, I wear two hats, essentially. Yep. So on the basketball side, um, I do the manage the salary cap. Um, I report to Bob Myers, our general manager, president of basketball operations. Um, I've done some scouting in the past. Um, I assist our player development um, team and player development. Where I'm talking about off the court, not not any coaching or anything on on, on that side. So on the basketball side, um, I'm assisting coming up with trade ideas or where trade ideas come in. Um, I'm running the numbers and looking at what our salary structure is going to look like. I'm negotiating with the BJ Armstrongs of the world occasionally, <laughs> um, but that's really at a higher level. Um, so yeah, so, so on the basketball side, I'm handing all the legal work on the basketball side and, and helping to manage the salary. Cap. And when you quite honestly, that's a smaller percentage of, of my job. Mm -hmm. The larger percentage of my job is on the business side. So I also report to our president um, um, and chief operating officer, Rick Wells. And so on the basketball side, I'm mean on the, on the, on the business side, I'm your typical general counsel. And so I have a legal team. I'm negotiating all of our contracts. Me and my team are negotiating all of the contracts on, on the business side. So whether that's the uh, naming rights agreement with, with uh, JP Morgan Chase or with, um, with Kaiser, um, Human resources reports reports to me, so I'm meeting with our VP of Human Resources about any employment law issues that we um, that we have. In the current moment, um, with police brutality and everything that's happening, it's all right. How are we showing up for our employees? What kind of um, environment are we creating internally for our employees who, first off, are dealing with COVID-19 and having to be disconnected from one another and trying to re readjust to this new normal? I mean, making it as normal for people as possible. And then the added weight of everything that's happening that we already knew was happening, um, but now other people know what's happening. And how are we as an organization showing up for that both both publicly, but more in, in, in my world, um, internally in, 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 in creating space for our employees and, and making sure that people are able to bring their authentic selves to work and and, and what have you. And then also uh, public affairs reports to me as well. So when we were trying to um, get the entitlements for the arena, creating relationships with um, elected officials and, and what have you, um, and, and have a strong team that handles that, but managing that, that function as well. 
And we have to ask, David, I mean, the, the whole journey, right, since you've been with the Warriors, I saw a quote from Bob Myers. He said you've been a, a staple of the franchise since you joined the franchise, and you've had to wear a lot of different hats, as you just explained. But you kind of came in at the, the front end of this run with the Warriors. You know, you came in when Clay had just gotten drafted the year before, I believe, and then Steph was obviously growing into who he was. Draymond had just gotten there or was just coming in. And then they become a dynasty, uh, and then they're in the luxury tax, and they're signing Kevin Durant, and like that transition from a a young up and coming uh, contender to being the favorite. What was that like on the business side of things? Because I'm sure everything ramped up for you, and and all the deals that were coming in, of course. Yeah, completely ramped. Up. I like to say that everyone on the business side gets smarter when Steph makes a shot, right? <laughs> and so um, <laughs> we we just get that much better at our jobs and we're so, you know, bright and intelligent. Um, so yeah, so it created so many opportunities. Threes, you guys are like, there we go, 400 threes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and so we know where the real credit lies, right? But on the business side, it's our job to maximize that opportunity. Like mm -hmm. on the basketball side, they're creating the opportunity. And on the business side, you can either just float along behind it or you can try to maximize it and take it. And mm -hmm. so if you're going to the finals five straight years, I mean, the timing and timing has to work out for you. But we had announced that we were trying to build the arena in, um, in San Francisco. Yep. And so combining those two at the same at the same time, it was just perfect timing. And so from the business, business side, we're able to maximize the moment because the moment is not going to last forever. Mm -hmm. um, I started, I think, 10 days before we traded uh, Monte Ellis for Andrew Bogut. Wow. Um, and so in that trade of bringing Bogut in, I mean, in that trade, we're basically saying, all right, Steph, it's your franchise. It's your team. You are gonna, you're going to handle things. And so that was a pivotal moment. And so, yeah, it's not like I, I made that trade. I was <laughs> like, like, just, okay, all right, well, this is what we're doing. All right, well, let's, let's do it. Yeah. But then, so I was there for a little bit of when we didn't make the playoffs. And then that summer we drafted Draymond and Draymond's made the playoffs every year of his career. Right. Right. Um, and so just to be able to see the players take and change the franchise and then be able to influence on the business side. All right. How is it that we're able to, you know, to, to maximize this and, um, and take advantage of it to, to, to the best degree possible and still make sure that we're showing up in the community the way, the way we're supposed to be showing up in the community. I mean, leaving Oakland and going to San Francisco is a, is a, is a fraught right. thing, right? Um, so how do we make sure that we're not abandoning Oak, Oakland that, you know, I live in Oakland, like I gotta be able to walk the street. Um, so how do we make sure that we, that, we, <laughs> that we are still involved inside of the community here in Oakland at the same time that we're moving to San Francisco? So all of, the, all of those things from a business perspective, from a community perspective, um, as the team is, is having a success and changing the nature of the franchise. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about one of my favorite guys, Peter Goober. Oh. <laughs> Peter has Peter. a saying. Can you share? I mean, his <laughs> saying about show business. Can you just give me that quote again? Oh, oh. Um, they don't call it show show. They call it show business. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. I Peter has Peter is Peter as I think, and I've you know worked with a lot of. He's the most creative person I think I've ever met. Peter is insanely creative, um, always. And to me, the creativity is to be able to, to make a connection between X and Y in a way that other people don't see the connection, mm. um, to see how things interrelate, and then to be able to have the experience that he has, that he's seen it before. Like, this is right. not a new, he's seen this movie. He's Not only has he seen this movie, he's made this movie. <laughs> right. Right? That's right. Um, 
And so, yeah, so Peter is, Peter is insanely creative. It's Peter and Joe working together yep. is like, Joe is basketball, basketball, basketball. Like Joe loves basketball and is, is probably the most optimistic person I've ever met, quite mm-hmm. honestly, insanely optimistic. Um, like when, when the, they bought the franchise, he was talking about, we're going to win championships. And people were like, man, do, do you realize you bought the Warriors? Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> but he believed it, you know? Um, and so that along with Peter's ingenuity and creativity is, it's a, it's a match. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a match. And so that's, and that trickles down through Rick and Bob and through everyone. And, and, um, I mean, you were talking about, um, the way we try to show up in the community. A lot of that comes from, from coach Kerr. And from from Draymond and stuff, and from and from who they are, like it's yeah. and it's just basically trying to create a culture where people. I mean, first off, if you have Draymond on your team, he's Draymond's going to be Draymond. Like it doesn't really matter what you say, he's going to be who he is. So you better just embrace it and just <laughs> right. I mean, you're, you're, you're better off embracing it because it's going to happen anyway. And so right. I think the the genius thing that Steve does as a coach, and I think that we try to do on the business side. Um, it's just embracing people for who they are, get the right people and then let them be who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be missteps and all of that, but allow people to, to bring themselves to work and express who they are and then, and then, um, build from there. And you talk about the de- the development of these guys that come into the Warriors building. And a lot of people point to the culture. We hear that term, you know, with every single franchise, everyone's trying to build the culture, but you talked about developing guys as people, not just as basketball players. And I think that's a really important, vital point to, to all these guys that play NBA basketball. And if you look at the team, even the young guys, like a Kai Bowman, guys that came in this year, that they have a certain, I would say, character that, that is obviously exudes outside of the game of basketball. Draymond is one of those guys. Steph is obviously one of those guys. Clay is one of those guys. The list goes on and on and on. So when you're drafting and you're developing, you know, what is, what are you trying to identify in these guys? Or is it you bring them in and then you find out who they are and you try to maximize who they are? Well, some of it is, and BJ, you know this, I think um, and from my perspective, and you, you let me know where I'm wrong. I think a lot of the team takes on the identity of your leader, of your best player. Right. Um, and so Steve, having played with Michael and having having been around Tim Duncan with the Spurs, um, sees that and understands that. And so for us, a lot of it is like Steph is the is is the is the leader, right? In his own way. Mm-hmm. But Draymond is a, is the leader also, in his own way. Um, and so you're going to take on the characteristics of those two guys and Clay as well. I mean, like like you're going to take on the characteristics of of those players. If you see your best player being humble, um, treating people with respect, um, showing up for some of these, like let's talk business basketball, showing up for some of these corporate events that players don't want to necessarily have to go to and giving people the time of day. Um, it's easier for you to fall in line with that and to be a part of that. And, and, and to even when we had a season like we had last year, we weren't winning a lot, a lot of games that locker room is still a championship locker room right? Um, because of who those guys are. Um, you know, Draymond won championships, but I don't know if he became a champion. He was a champion when he came in. Like, I remember one time you told me something, BJ, I don't want to want to out it too much, but um, you were talking about like, he knew this, he knew something when he came into the league. I remember That's you right. saying that to me. Right. Um, 
there's certain people who just kind of understand it. Um, and I think that we have guys who just, and I think, Steph was drafted before we got to, we don't take credit for that, right. right? Draymond was Draymond before we just got him at 35, right? So we can't mm-hmm. take credit for that. Um, but once you get it, you put it in a, in a spot where it can just blossom and grow and explode. Quick break to get aware from our sponsor, Helix Sleep. There's nobody on the planet like you. Yes, you. So why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep sells personalized mattresses made right here in America and ship straight to your door with free no-contact delivery, free returns, and a 100-night sleep trial. To choose a mattress, Helix made a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach or sleep really hot with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique taste. I took the quiz and I was matched with the Dusk Deluxe Helix mattress because I wanted something that felt smooth, I wanted something that was a little bit firm, and I wanted something that was a king because, you know, I got dogs in bed, it's a whole thing. So uh, it was perfect for me and I appreciated Helix hooking that up for us. I love Helix, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash pushing through, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash pushing through. That's helixsleep.com slash P-U-S-H-I-N-T-H-R-U for up to $200 off. Back to Cap D. Well, you know, I want to use this as a transition here. You say we are who we are and Mr. David Kelly, you know, the business, but now let's transition to cat d all natural <laughs> from the business of the show from the business you know to the show you i know not many people know i don't know how many people know but in the underground world we all know who cat d is he's a lyricist <laughs> he's a student of hip-hop he loves the game you have a new project that's just released yes talk to us about this love affinity of hip-hop music mm. the culture the lifestyle, the attitude, and everything is here. Let's let's transition and let's all you know transition out yeah. of our seats, yeah. literally, and get into this hip hop. Are you gonna leave the tie on? We well, you know, since you said that, I might as well take this off now. You know, I wanted to make sure you know that, that we take everything off, and uh, you know, let's get this all off. You know, hey, 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 I'm taking everything off. You know, hey, 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 let me take, let me get everything off. Hey, hey, let me get everything off. Hey, hey, let's get it all off. Hey, let's throw this stuff out. Now let's get to it. That's the shirt right there. That's the logo right there. Hey, you know, Guru, one of your, you know, compadres, you know, down there at Morehouse. Let's talk about it now yeah. let's get into it okay so man i've i mean hip-hop so i, I grew up in the south suburbs of chicago so mm-hmm. where i grew up i was one of the first we were one of the first black families to move into the area that we moved into mm-hmm. and so um i had great childhood you know but i always i always knew i was different than the people i was around i always felt a little bit like an outsider right and so for hip-hop for me was a lot of understanding my identity as a black man mm. and even before i had love for hip-hop i had love i used to love to write i, I always wanted to be a poet i wanted to be a writer like mm. um this is when i was like 11 12 years old 
And so then you got this thing, this black male dominated, but not only black male, but you know, black male dominated art form that's all about poetry and music. Mm. And that's what I was all on. That's all I was about. Um, and so it just, you know, rock him. Mm. You know, LL. Oh, stop it. Um, right. I mean, at that point in time, it just drew me in. It just, it just, it resonated with me as an art form, but it resonated me with me also just as my journey of discovering myself and who right. I am and why and why I'm here. And, and like that, that, that on a deeper level is what hit me when I was 14, 15 years old and, mm. you know, truly falling in love with it. Um, and it's never stopped. Like, you know, it's my, if you were to ask 14 year old David, what he wanted to do, he wanted to, he, he wanted to be a basketball player and he wanted to write and, 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 and do music. And that's the same dude. That's the same dude right now. Um, you know, trying to combine the two and figure out a way that I can do and be involved in both. Right. Well, you got this new project, Dark Knight. And when I say is dope is dope i mean i love it i love the project you have Appreciate some of my favorite artists you have the legendary juice mc juice on there we have the legendary master ace, master on ace. okay and then my personal favorite life is i right. love the song okay i love the song Appreciate it. it always reminds me of what you and i always talk about i think when we were sitting down, we had breakfast with uh, Ninth Wonder. Mm -hmm. And he said, we used to dance. We used to celebrate. And when I was listening to the album, you know, it was, I, it was very introspective. At least that's, you know, the words and the lyrics and all of those things. But share with us the inspiration for this project, mm -hmm. working with, you know, the, you know, the other artists that you work with. You have Panic on the ones and twos there. <laughs> Share with us your inspiration for this project. Yeah, man, it was, um, I didn't know if I was ever gonna do another project, quite honestly. Like I, I work on stuff all the time. I didn't know if I was ever gonna release another project. Mm. Um, I got so much material that I just work on, but releasing something is 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 a little bit different. Right. Um, well, you have a day job, so it's understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a day job, but between your day job, let's have full transparency. There's a lot of sharing of bars between, you know, you know, Cat D and, and BJ Armstrong, you know? So, so, you know, there's a lot of urging here of people saying, give me those lyrics. So, you know, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't control myself. So, yeah. so, um, so I just reached so panic and I have been doing music together, dating back to some of the first songs that I did back in the mid nineties, first songs released. We had a song called It's Okay on the first album back in 1997, 98. Um, and so he's been a producer who I always just felt his music. And he's been starting to get more and more back into the game. He had kind of gone away for a little bit. But now he's really strong back into the game. I was like, you know what? Let me just listen to some of these panic beats. Let me, so I was listening to some of these beats. I'm like, I reached out to him. I was like, hey man, you got some beats that I can just write to. And he just sent me a batch of beats and I just started writing. And I was like, all right, I want to do a full project only with Panic, um, where the beats are telling, the beats are fitting a social, uh, a certain emotional space that I'm in right now, where I want to talk about something. Like I'm too old to just kick battle rhymes. 
Mm. Um, I'm too young to not kick battle rhymes. Okay, hey, come on now. You can, hey, keep me calm. Keep me calm. You said battle rhymes. You know, that's my era. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know, I came on listening to KRS One, right? Yeah, yeah. Came on listening to the teacher. You gotta, you gotta kick. That's what it is. But also, you know, I'm at a certain place in my life where. Come on, I got. I have been through some things. I have some things I want to talk about. There's some things happening in the world that mm. um, I felt like if I didn't say it from my perspective, I don't know that it's going to be said exactly from my perspective. So I'm not like that unique that no one else is going to talk about the topic, but I have a different perspective on certain things. And so to the song like Life Is, it was, what do I think life is? Like, like what is what do I think is in some ways the meaning of life and how can I just just hit that? inside of a on, on a on a song and the the conversation with ninth like so much so much of um hip-hop nowadays is down tempo it's you know the the, the beats per minute around 80 is really slow mm-hmm. um and that has a certain vibe to it but i came into hip-hop when rakim was you know doing i ain't no joke like you know or <laughs> or you know like songs that were a little bit more up tempo um, right. You know, and and life is is that up tempo, and it's and it's it's energy, it's happiness, and at the same time trying to talk about serious things. It's you know we, when I think about the the struggle of the '60s and what have you, our struggle as Black people, we've always had joy and happiness as part of the struggle. Mm-hmm. It's not just an angry struggle. It's a uh, anger at the circumstances, but a joy and a happiness and a we shall overcome is part of it. And so I wanted that to come through in the music as well. So, so a song like Life Is, is I'm t- trying to talk about real things, but I'm talking about it in a, like, we're going to get through this. Like, like right. you know. No, and I have to ask, David, I mean, as you bring up all, all the music and everything uh, and the relation to, and like you trying to tell that story from that vantage point, I mean, I, I find it fascinating. There's two different cultures that exist in America, and there's two different languages that exist within those cultures. There's the hip-hop culture and black culture, and then there is corporate culture, which is more of, and you work in corporate culture, and yep. you also have, you know, the Cap D and your experience in life. So being able to have those two vantage points and purviews on life and being able to bridge it together I think it's a very powerful thing in this world because people need to see more of that. And, and am I wrong there? Or is that something that, you know, you have pride in being able to do that? I do. I do. I think, I mean, a lot of it, I take it, I take it back to the way I was raised. Like my, you know, my father, my father worked, worked, walked in both those worlds. Yep. My father grew up South side of Chicago, um, went on to become the first, he was the first partner at Arthur Anderson, first African-American partner at Arthur Anderson. Wow. And so, I watched him be authentically who he is and still walk in those rooms and those hallways and, and have that suit and tie on. And so, you know, what BJ just did is a representation of what we just do. Yep. Like right, we right. have two that di- suit and tie on and yep. underneath it is that gangstar shirt, right? Um, <laughs> that's, that's who we are. We are still who we are, but still walking in those rooms. Um, and a lot of what I try to do at GSW is trying to make sure that I still am authentically who I am, um, my best authentic self. Mm-hmm. On the mic, my best authentic self. In the corp- in the boardroom, my best authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, not selling out either one, but melding the two together. Um, and so that's that's the that's the mission. 
Um, and so, and the song, there's a song on the album that kind of tries to speak to that contradiction that, yes. that there's this contradiction and there's this tension between ourselves. And there's a poem, um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, that I put at the end of that song mm-hmm. yep. called We Wear the Mask. Mm-hmm. And it's, if you only recognize the surface, you miss everything else. If you only recognize the right side of the brain, you miss the left side of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as black people, we are especially trying to be successful black people in corporate America, we are always trying to make sure that we can be our total selves inside of every room that we're walking in. And always, it's not, and it's, it's, and it's attention. It's not, it's not easy. It's, it's, yep. and, and there's challenges as part of that. Um, but I had my father's example of how to do it, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Dave, when you, when you, when you listen to your music, clearly it's conscious, right? I mean, it's the, 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 the lyrics, the poetry, and, you know, I, I just want to ask you something. I had to I had to write this down that you said, I think you were speaking, public speaking for the Warriors, but you said, but the moment doesn't change, doesn't create the change. Only the people create the change. That's right. And where did this consciousness that you have, I mean, clearly you are aware of what's going on around you. You are aware of the words, you are aware of, the music and the responsibility, but where did that all stem from? Was that just part of who you were, how you grew up, the music influence? Like, where did that all come from? Man, I think a lot of it can. You you mentioned um, you mentioned Morehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of it came from my time down down at the house. I mean, some of it was already there because I think that's what brought me to the house. Right, right. That's what made me want to go to Morehouse. Um, but spending time at Morehouse really changed who I was or really sharpened and refined who I was and maybe gave me the opportunity to, to dig into who I am and where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is always there. That's always with me. Um, it needs to be there. Yeah. Um, so so I, would, I wouldn't cha- change my time at Morehouse for anything. I spent, you know, as my father and mother would, would attest, I spent a few extra years there. Oh, like, you know, yeah. like I, did, I didn't do the four year plan, um, <laughs> but I think it was time well spent in the, in, 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 in the end. And so, yeah, so a lot of it was that. And then even like, so I, like I said, I, I grew up in the South suburbs of Chicago, but I was, I was born on the South side of Chicago. And so I remember I was seven years old when we moved from the South side to the South suburbs. And I remember, vividly as a kid my recollection is just blue skies and so i think about like going from the city to the suburbs it was like a whole world opened up like opportunities and blue skies and 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 all the things that my father wanted to create for his children right at the same time a week after moving out there somebody spray painted the n-word on our driveway and our car mysteriously got set fire to right so these are the two things and so that was that was the probably the next 10 years of my life. Opportunities and blue skies and all of these things that otherwise you would not be able to, to explore along with this tension and this and this just racism um, right. that you have to navigate and be able to walk through. And so dealing with that at an early age, I think, you know, um, it's, you know, in, indoctrinated in, in, into the fact that this is, this is what you have to deal with. And you want to be in that space, in those spaces where you have those blue skies. You want to be in that in that boardroom, right? Mm-hmm. But being in these spaces comes with sometimes tension of people who don't want you to be in those spaces and having to, to be able to navigate and neutralize those people when, when they show themselves. 
And you mentioned a very strong point, and I kind of want to go back to it. You said you were an outsider in that space, right? You go and you make this move. You had the blue skies, but immediately, you know, people are, are quote unquote speaking a different language, and they're looking at you different. And obviously, the racism that, like you just mentioned, that that's horrific. Then you go to an HBCU, and it's the first time that people ever look at you and they say, "You're an insider. You're in on something. We want you to be a part of this." And it, it, the power of HBCUs in general seems to be a uh, you know discussion point right now. Boogie Cousins comes out and says he wishes he could have made that decision. We've seen Mikey Williams, a young guy, talking about maybe he wants to play at an HBCU. Howard's getting some guys committing. I think Thon Maker's cousin yep. just committed there as a five-star. Mm-hmm. So sure. that 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 movement, that momentum, that moment, like you said, it's people. But we need to be aware of the outsider perspective and the fact that there is no place to be an insider for a lot of people in this country. And, and I just want to speak to the HBU experience and what they're able to bring to a lot of people like you. Yeah, I mean, so Morehouse was about creating men. Yep. Um, Spelman's about creating women. Howard's about, about creating strong black people, mm-hmm. um, like people. We, we talked a little bit about it in the player development piece. You know, I think one of the secret sauces with the wars is that, you know, we see people as people yep. and the HBCU experience. That's what the mission is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about creating a space where black people feel like, especially young, impressionable black people feel, um, valued, um, seen, respected, and challenged. All of those things. It's not, you know, like some of my, the, the instructors, it's not a coddling experience at, at, at Morehouse either. It's it's like some of those instructors were like, there's a reason why it took me a little more than four years. Right? <laughs> so, but it's, it's a challenging environment, but all out of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was something, it was definitely something that I needed at that, at that point in time and that I soaked up, um, and, and has, has carried with me. Yeah. You know, you know, Troy Weaver, who, uh, was just recently named general manager of the Detroit Pistons. He's been with Oklahoma city for so long. And he kind of said something that, you know, he talked about in, you know, working with golden state warriors. He's and Troy Weaver said it. He came on, he was nice enough to come on the show. And he said the following, he said, I draft people, not players. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to hear you talk about it. It's interesting to hear why he's had success. Just cultivating the people and these young impressionable people is so important because they're so impressionable. And uh, it's great to hear you say that and and, and, and the, the impact that Morehouse made on you in your life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's, it's the most important people um, at the Golden State Warriors, you know, the, 1920, you know, elder studies, statesmen, those are the most imp- important people. These are the people who really pay my salary, right? Right. Um, so I'm putting my my livelihood, my children's livelihood in the hands of young of young people. We need to make sure that they are um, ready to carry that weight and are given every opportunity to to grow and to and to fail quite honestly and right. and to be and and you know and, and and to change and to grow and all these things and so yeah so it's it's it we would be foolish i mean you the nba is 75 80% black men yeah right you need to understand black men to understand that the engine that's driving this this league that's right that's period. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I I also want to bring up just one. I mean, you talk about the chances. I mean, there aren't you know there aren't that many second chances we've seen in America for a black man. It's one shot, one deal. You know, that's it. And for the most part, and you know, looking at the HBCU experience, if you go back, a lot of people are saying, well, this is the first time that that top flight guys want to go to HBCUs. But then BJ and I, we love Earl the Pearl. You know, he went to Winston Salem State. You know, right. Stephen A. Smith, the guy that's on ESPN that we all see every morning on first take. Guess where he went? Winston Salem right. State. He went to right. HBCU. So right. I think a Bumani. lot of it, yeah, Bomani. Yeah, like I think a lot of it is like we know that these people are figures in the spaces, but we need to point to this is where their education came from. This is why they have that confidence. This is why they're not afraid to get in the conversation because they know that they've had they have people that have their back, and I think that's something that's really important in the NBA and just in America in general. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I mean Martin Luther King. Yep. Right. Um, Spike Lee. I'm, I'm, you know, all about Morehouse, but I mean, you know, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson. Let's keep going. Samuel L. Jackson. Um, <laughs> These are, you know, some some of the some of in my mind, some of the strongest black men that the country's produced were produced by HBCUs and not just by Morehouse, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason for that. That's not that's not a that's not a mistake. That's not an accident. Um, and nothing against any other any other institutions, but there's a special there's a special thing about HBCUs that, that shouldn't be ignored either. And and quite honestly, should that that majority institutions should try to steal some of that. Yep. Um, the good thing of that, not not the end of, don't steal the individuals, take the the blueprint and understand why they've been successful and take that. And we would love for that to be something that that, that is taken. Mm. You know, mm. Dave, you and I could talk all day. I know you you got things to do, but I have to ask you about the MC, the E-M-C-E-E before we let you out of here. Mm-hmm. This is like a loaded question. First, I need to know your your favorite MCs who've influenced you. I need to know your favorite. And then after you share your favorite, of course, you know, I gotta have give you my favorite. Even though you're not asking me, but I gotta give you my favorite. <laughs> but then I want to hear from you, the man himself, how would you characterize your style? Mm-hmm. And 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 how you rap and how this played a part. But I gotta get your your top, your list. Give me a yeah, top. So the, the top of the list will always be Rakim. Always. How? Why? Just don't say it. Just give me so why. Just I tell people there's there's a before and after Rakim. There's how MCs rhymed before Rock. There's a pre, there's a B Rakim and a Rakim AD. Mm. Um before Rakim, it's Right. That's the that's the rhyme style. Like everything is kind of like on the one and after Rakim is done it, 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 done it. It just is. And that's not all Rakim. There's Kumo D in that. There's Chill Rob G. There's, you know, Kooji rap. But for me, it's Rakim. And so every MC who came after Rakim is influenced by Rakim, whether they know it or not. You may not even know your history. <laughs> <laughs> preach, <laughs> preach, preach. You are influenced by someone who was influenced by Rakim. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so that to me, and, and, and even beyond that, well, like he wasn't the only conscious MC, but he was a conscious MC. He was, he combined all of that. He, he was the coolest on the mic. The most nonchalant on the mic, like he hits you with, he'll hit you with the hardest verse and just say it like it's a throwaway line, you know. 
And, and like right now, so one of my second favorite MCs does is is person who masters that. That's Black Thought. Mm. Black Thought will say the most ridiculous line and the most like you know like it's nothing. Like he's just like it's it's nada. Um, and, but a lot of that comes in my mind from the way Rakim carried it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah. So Rakim is first. Black Thought. Um, Farrah Monch for me. Mm. Oh. The intricacies of the rhyme, um, and Farrah Monch also the control, the vocal control, the control of the voice, to be able to take the voice here and there, the ability to sing is something I always used to diss as an MC, but it's really because I could sing. Um, <laughs> but the ability to have that that like vocal talent um, that Farrah Monch has, um, KRS One going back again. And that's just because consciousness. And also, KRS One had the ability to move the crowd. Like he was, he wasn't a studio MC. He was a stage MC. He was a battle MC. Right. He came across in his stage shows and also comes across in his albums. Like a lot of his, a lot of his greatest bars are not the most intricate of bars, but they are hit with such a force the way he says them that it's just undeniable. And that comes from him being able to rock a stage. He came up in that era of you had to be able to rock the stage and move the crowd. Right. Um, so those are the guys for me. It's, it's funny, when I was young, I used to not give this next person all the, like I liked him, like I've loved him more as I've grown and that's Slick Rick. Yeah. And that's because of <laughs> the ability to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, the storytelling ability is just second to none when it comes to Slick Rick. He can he can take anything and, and turn it into the most intricate thing and focus on the smallest little detail of something and, and bring it to life. And so those are my MCs. One other person I always like to give a shout out to, this is probably my favorite person in hip hop, and that's Large Professor. Really? Um, yes, yes. Large Professor because he was a dope producer and a dope MC. And he was un compromising in his standards. Um, he's not someone who has blown up and got up because he's uncompromising. Large professor is large professor. And he's not going to chase the dollar. He's not going to sing and dance. He's not going to do all of these things. He's going to stay true to what he believes are the true fundamentals and foundation of hip hop. Mm. And that was always who he was. You could always even just see that and hear that in him. Um, all the way going back to the main source days. And so he he is probably my favorite just person in hip hop uh, because of what he embodied and what he always meant, and like what he meant to Nas's career. Mm-hmm. What he mean, like, you know, like he's a central figure in a lot of just, in a lot of things. Like like your favorite MC, they talk about your favorite MCs and favorite <laughs> MC. Lost Professor probably your favorite hip hop person artist, favorite hip hop artist. Like, you know, like he is just, right. He's the embodiment of what a lot of people just kind of want to be. If it wasn't for the the, the capitalistic nature of of, of hip hop, right. like, like they'd be a lot more like a large professor. And, and and I can't let you forget. How would you characterize your style? What is your style? We talked about all of those. And by the way, I love that list. That, that was, I wish we had more time. I wish we had more time. But work always gets in the way. So I want to I want to cut it short. You know, uh, how would you characterize your style? My style, so I, I honestly, without being a biter, because that's the that's the 
you know, the third rail. Well, you got to be able to talk to Tate. Tate may not know what a biter is. He may <laughs> no, not know. No, He's no. like too young. I, I know what a biter is. You can't be biting. You can't be biting clothes, uh, biting styles. You yeah. can't be doing that. Um, If you look at the intersections of all the people I mentioned, that's my style. Mm. Um, I try to have the vivid storytelling of a slick rig. I try to have the intricate rhyme style and voice of a um, Rakim, and I got to respect the shirt of a guru, like, you mm. know, like just the coolest voice ever in hip hop. Right. Um, and my group, quite honestly, all natural, like is so much of it is, is based on a gang star foundation. It's DJ MC, that's all we need. Right. Right. We don't need nothing else. No gimmicks, no look, no image, no hook. We don't dance. Like, mm. Oh, 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 oh. Can Bart, we get Bart. 16? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot. Business hours. I forgot. I forgot. So yeah, and and then um the conscious try to have the consciousness of a KRS one. Um try to display, and I don't I don't I don't have it like Pharaoh Monch has it, but try to display the vocal range of a of a Pharaoh Monch because certain songs require you to have a certain voice and certain songs require you to have a different voice and a different energy, like in it and be able to go where the music kind of takes you. Um, so, I, so I try to, I want my style to be, I always wanted to try to be the best in what I thought were the, were all the various different aspects of MC. Mm-hmm. And so that's the storytelling, that's the battling, that's the voice, um, that's the range, that's the pin game, all of that. And so I try to have that. So mm-hmm. if, if I would characterize my style as really amalgamation of all the, the MCs who I, listen to, including the Kendricks and J. Coles nowadays as well. Like I listen to the new cats too. Like there's a lot of new Odyssey, a lot of new MCs, current MCs that I think, you know, bring it on that level too. Absolutely. Well, David, we appreciate you coming on. Cap D, we appreciate you coming on. This but is wait, the we got to hear BJ's list though. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. Hear- BJ, give your list real quick before we get out of here. <laughs> I have four pillars. <laughs> I have four pillars. <laughs> of this game you know i was i can remember listening to the message i can remember listening to the message so i have four pillars rakim mm-hmm. g rap mm-hmm. kane mm-hmm. and krs1 those are my boom, pillars boom, boom. yes <laughs> those are my pillars yes and from there everything else Builds out. Flows. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't have a greatest list of all time. I can't have a top five. Mm. I'm just saying, get your pillars. Yeah. You know, you know when I when, when I listen to Pharaoh much, I hear it, and I love Pharaoh much. Yeah. And I love Nas and Jay Z and Ed OG. Oh, come on now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm going underground. I didn't mean to go there. I didn't mean to go there. I didn't mean to go there. (laughs) You know, I I just love it. I love the the music. But those are my pillars. And, uh, you know, I I, I just, all of these guys and what you do. And Dave, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Mm. It means so much um, to me, my family, and you know how I feel about you, but no, thank you again for coming on, man. It's love. Thank you, brother. And, um, and the only thing we want to say is what you're doing, you know, and being an example for our, for our youth, for all to see. Yep. Paving a path. We really appreciate you coming on, my brother. Thanks again. 
We love what you're doing in, 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 in the office, but we really love what you're doing out of the office. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you, my friend. And uh, please come back and see us again when you have time. Anytime, brother. I appreciate it. All right. <laughs>